Tonight, we'll be talking in 1 Kings 19, verse 21. We'll kind of be camping out here. This is the name of the message is the plow in the fire. Because in the process of this, we will learn what this means. You know, when you look at 1 Kings, I'm going to read the text to you. It says, so Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and give it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Now, before we go into the actual text, let's look at kind of what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about surrender, about surrendering. You know, it's one thing when you surrender to come into the, the, the a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you live a life of surrender after that. See, surrendering is part of the sanctification process of your life and living. And that is always an ongoing event. The depths of God is found in the depths of surrender. God is calling individuals to a deeper level of surrender. Surrender is also a form of separation. If you look in 2 Corinthians 6.17, it says, Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. Separation is a key attribute in Christianity. And what it means by this is we separate from the worldly philosophies of this age. We separate to say that I believe the Bible, I believe what God's righteousness is, I don't care what the world says righteousness is, this is where I'm going to live my life out of the pages of the Word of God. Now when you get saved, a lot of times God doesn't have to tell you this is unclean, this is unclean, you just know you shouldn't be doing some stuff. Now as you grow, you start to learn what God considers unclean. You know, when you're flowing down the stream in the world, you're going down the stream. But even dead fish can flow down that same stream. When you give your life to Jesus, you, 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 you change direction and you begin to swim upstream. Surrender is not works. It's obedience. When you surrender, it's the starting point of greatness. And at the same time, it's what propels you into the greater things of God. The question is, how much do you want of God? That depends on your level of surrender. What do you want to accomplish from God? That depends on your level of surrender. Now I want to, I'm going to go into history to set up the text because I, I, I was, as I was studying this, I found something You know, many people read the Bible and they say, oh, that was good for back then. And boy, I couldn't imagine living back then. Boy, if I lived back then, I think I would have more faith. If I saw these types of things going on, I think I would react like Elijah reacted. I think I would react like David reacted. But history repeats itself. If you want to know the future, look at the past. That's a biblical fact. Ecclesiastes 3.15 says, what is happening now has happened before. And what will happen in the future has happened before. Because God makes the same things happen over and over again. Now, as we talk about this, I don't want you to get discouraged. I want you to build your faith. 
I want you to see that in the midst of what was going on in the Old Testament times, you will see God moving. Now, what I'm about to tell you is in the Bible. And this is going to go into the political climate of the days of Elijah and the days of David. And I have a reason that I want to bring this out. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets who ever lived. And I believe that he is one of the two witnesses that will soon return to this earth. Why do you say that? Elijah and Enoch were the only two people to never die. They were taken into heaven. The Bible says it's appointed for men once to die, then comes the judgment. So that's, and not to mention the, the, the things that the two witnesses do in the Bible are some of the same things that Elijah and, and uh, Enoch did in the Old Testament. I'm telling you, the Bible is fascinating if you read it, if you understand it, if you begin to look and see what God is saying, you can see what's going on. Now, as we go through this, I want to say that I have ultimate respect for the American government, that I believe that we should honor all of the offices, that we should pray for all of our leadership. But I do want to say that there was times in the Old Testament where you saw some of the same things going on that you see now. I'll give you an example. You ever heard of Ahab and Jezebel? Okay. At the time, Jezebel was an evil, demon-possessed matriarch of hell. She literally, everything about this lady was evil. Now, I'm not, now that's for her. That might be extreme, but you would ask Elijah and he would tell you the same thing. Her and her husband lived in an ivory house. They were involved in a land deal that fell through. An innocent man lost his life. They considered sin a light thing. It wasn't a big deal. A lying spirit deceived Ahab and his wife stayed in politics after he passed on. Now, for more than 60 years, Israel was being ruled under tyranny, unbelief, assassinations, and political incorrectness. That was going on. We see that. We have seen that in our own life and living. If you know anything about politics, this resonates with you. Now, if you continue on, when you read in 1 Kings 17, for the first time, you see Elijah the Tishbite. When you read that verse, when, when you read about Elijah the Tishbite, when you're reading 1 Kings, it's like a sigh of relief. It's like you are saying, thank God Elijah showed up. Now, let me ask you this. In your bloodline, maybe you're the first person that has come to know the Lord. I want to tell you that you are the sigh of relief in your family's lineage. When you get, when it comes down to blue the Cajun, that's what it would say. You know, if you think about it, Elijah the Tishbite, he comes out of irrelevance. And during this time, there was great wickedness, but God used him in spite. I want to read you another verse. Ecclesiastes 1, 9 through 11. History merely repeats itself. 
It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say here is something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. So the Bible teaches that there are parallels. I love to study prophecy. When you study prophecy, you see continual parallels, things that happen over and over and over. And listen, in 1 Corinthians 10, 6, these things happen as examples for us. The thing that we learned about history is that we don't learn from history. <laughs> you know, you look at Benjamin Netanyahu and Iran is, is threatening to destroy them. He is not wanting to do what happened during the Holocaust. He has learned, but we have not. I know that's probably not politically correct, but we need to learn from our history. We need to learn from the mistakes that people have made before us. And we need to understand that we're not different than other nations that fail for the same exact things that we are partaking in. In the time of King David, before he showed up on the scene, there was King Saul. And you could read about his administration in 1 Samuel 8, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 15, and chapter 19. This is what he did. He took over the sons and daughters of the people. He appealed to them. He hired his own workers by political takeover. He took over businesses and property. He took a tenth of everything, redistributed it, and raised the taxes. And he pushed his agenda and took it over for his work. This is what King Saul did. Now look, look, look at his history. His family had no royal lineage. He was a head taller than everyone. He was herding donkeys when discovered. <laughs> he began humble but became arrogant. He would not destroy his enemies. He wanted to look good to the people. He played both sides of the people. And he turned against the righteous. What I'm telling you this for is don't get discouraged in what you see in any form of leadership. Because, you know, it's not about Republican. It's not about the Democrat. It's about who wants to do what God wants to do. And listen, if when we completely move away from the things of God, we will be in trouble. It does not matter who's in leadership. Now, the good news is that if you look at Elijah and you look at Elisha, Elijah is a picture of the rapture of the church. It's an Old Testament typology. You see Elisha show up on the scene as Elijah is being taken off. What does that tell us today? That the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ that will appear in the sky to take his church away, that even right now we are so close if you watch the news, if you keep up with things, that right now God can pour out his power upon his church. And you and I get to be a part of that. I say this. Why did I say this about Saul? Remember, King David showed up in the midst of Saul ruling and reigning. Why do I say that? Because our heavenly King David, Jesus Christ, is about to show up. 
And the Bible says that he will set up his kingdom and of his kingdom there shall be no end. These are two Old Testament parallels of showing you that it does not matter the political or spiritual climate of the country. All that matters is you need to be a surrendered vessel ready to be used by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11, it says these things happen to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. That's us. Now, if you can see the politics side of this happening, you should be able to experience the spiritual side of things happening. I don't have time to get into it, but if you want to know the end, you just have to read Genesis backwards. And that tells you the book of Revelation going forward. It began in the garden of, of paradise. It will end in paradise. So as you, as you look at the Bible and you see things coming to pass, open your eyes and get excited. The Bible says when you see these things, look up for your redemption is drawing nigh. That means we are about to leave. We're about to go. I thought you'd be more excited about that. Maybe you like being here. <laughs> Listen, if you look at David, you look at Elijah, you look at Elisha. My question, where are the Elishas today? This, this burdens me, my own self. I'm like, Kelly, step it up. Come on, we live in the most exciting time. Right now. Will you be a sigh of release, relief for the nation? Will you be a sigh of relief in your family? Or will you add to the problem? Listen, our nation is obviously in a, in a moral decline. Obviously. I mean, we don't even have to prove the point, worry about stepping on toes. No matter where, who you are, you can see some things changing. You can see some things going the other way. But the problem that we have is we're the church of Jesus Christ. We need to be responsible for our own life and living. We need to look at our own personal surrender. Then there will be no compromise. We will be able to stand in, in what, who we are in Christ. We, have, we wonder why, where's the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Well, how surrendered are we? If we're full of junk, how can the spirit be full inside of something that is that we're dealing with our own ways? We want our own things. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ, us, to step it up during these last days. It's time for us to rise up and be an army that God placed us here for. Elijah calls the rain to cease. He, he helped a widow's food supply. Continue. He called fire down from heaven. He raised a widow's son from the dead. Now that's a health care plan. He slew 450 prophets of Baal. That's power. That's authority. But listen, out of all of that, here comes Elisha. You see, we've seen greatness in our midst. We've seen the book of Acts. 
We've seen the great Azusa Street outpouring. We've seen the charismatic renewal in which this church came out of in the 60s. We've seen great, we've seen great men of God come out and do healing revivals. Many of their ministries are still here. They built great ministries. But what about us? What does our future look at? Are, are we still passing the baton that the martyrs that died, that were burned at the stake, that were hung in, 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 in cages, that the emperor would light them on fire so he could see their garden, his garden. The lions that came and ripped Christians, arms off, legs off. Are we grabbing that baton? The Bible that, that has been passed down year after year, that its pages have been pushed through blood. We went through the dark ages where there was no Bible. It was chained to a pulpit. And if the only way you could understand it is if you understood Latin. But, but Martin Luther, with his 95 thesis, said the just shall live by faith. And eyes were opened everywhere. And people came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That was only the beginning. God saves the best for last. But are we surrendered vessels? Listen, he didn't put Paul here in 2015. He didn't put King David here. There is no John the Baptist here. There's no John the Beloved here, but there is you that is here. God has placed you here. God has placed you. I don't understand if you understand the weight of that. That means through all of history, God knew when you would be born. And he said, you know what? I have something that I want you to do in the last days. So I'm going to put you here. He didn't put you here to just sit on the pew. He puts you here. This is not hot tub Christianity where it's feed me, feed me. It's feed me and I will deliver it. Come on, we need to be about our father's business. How horrible would it be if we stand before God on the day of judgment and we got a tin hoop in our hand? What will that say to the Lord Jesus Christ? I want to tell you, embrace your destiny tonight. Embrace it tonight. I still believe that verse, no matter what we're going through, that Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. It doesn't matter if all hell is being thrown at you. You will survive. I promise you off of the authority of the word of God. With a calling of this magnitude. There must be a surrender of equal magnitude. See, we live in a generation that doesn't matter how old or young you are. There's more stuff to surrender. We got technology. We got all these things, things coming at us, all coming at our kids. But with more surrender. Remember, Satan knows his, his time is short. He's throwing everything he has at us. So what we do is we continue surrender, surrendering, surrendering and waiting on the power of God. See. We need to lay down 50 shades of gray and pick up the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about a separation. Amen. Now, this brings me to the first point. I know I always have long introductions. I'm going to get you out of here. I promise. Look at Elisha. Point number one, plows represent surrendering the old. In 1 Kings 19.21, I'll read it again. Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. 
He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he sent out to follow Elijah and become his attendant. What's the significance of burning this plow? God's power engulfs our obedience, which produces what others need. That's the point. That's what Elisha did. He saw Elijah and he said, I'm going after him because he's serving God. So what he did, what God wants to do is he wants to take your plow that you've been walking behind all of these years, all of your experiences, and he wants to put it into the fire so you can minister to other people. I can tell an alcoholic that you can be free because I dealt with that. I can tell you that there is life after crushed dreams. There is life after barrenness. There is life after circling a mountain for 14 years, wondering what God has you here for. There is life after a sickness diagnosis. And it's a life that you cannot imagine. It is greater than anything that you could possibly wrap your mind around because God takes broken pieces and makes masterpieces. This is a decision that every one of us has to make. Elisha surrendered his past so he could bless others. But we can't even give up a demonic CD collection. I'm talking to, you know, me back in the day. That was really rough. I remember I had a a youth event and we just took all that and put it in the fire. (laughs) And, you know, nothing burns like, you know, that kind of stuff. But, But I'm just, I'm using that as an example. You know, because I'm not, I'm not going to pick and I'm not going to go after this is bad. Don't watch this. You know, the Lord will show you and you either be obedient or you won't. And you'll just have to deal with him with that. Someone had asked me one time, he put on some heavy metal music that I actually used to listen to. And he was like, I probably told this story before, but I'll say it again for those of you that didn't hear it. And I was at work and I walked by and he was like, hey, man, does that offend you? And I was like, no, I used to listen to that. And he was like, really? He was like, you think it's wrong to listen to that? I said, Did the Holy Spirit tell you it was wrong? No. I said, well, you won't listen to me. (laughs) But needless to say, obviously there was conviction there. And I knew what he was getting at. (laughs) But they live in, Elisha lived in a time where they understood ceremonial sacrifices. He could have passed those plows down to the others. He could have passed down his cattle to the others, but this is a spiritual principle that he was laying down the tools of his old life, burning his old way of life. Listen, I had friends I could have benefited from leftover alcohol, but I chose not to do that. I had made a decision. I'm not going to pass this on to someone else. See, in the natural, he was burning plows to feed, and God used the burning of the plow To feed others. That's what that's for. But the spiritual principle is that he left stability and the comfort of consistency for the miraculous. Now, let me ask you this. Maybe when you get get troubled, you go back to that old plow. Maybe when you feel worthless, maybe your plow is the office. You go back and you take your identity at work. Do you keep running back to an identity question for you? What is your identity in? Is it in your profession? Maybe you're the life of the party. Is that where your identity lies? 
You see, some people hide out of the office because they're scared to be the husband or father or wife or mother that God has called them to be. Have you ever thought about that? Some hang out in their shop, painting the outside of the tomb, and inside his house is full of dead bones. It's time for us as men of the living God to stand up and say, I'm going to raise my child. I'm not going to let the city, the state, or the government. I will take responsibility for my child. And I say that in love because you see people, grown men that are still dealing with the wounds of not having a dad there. You see people that their dads just threw money at them. And they have children of their own and they're doing the same thing. We're letting Hollywood raise our children. Hollywood is literally, we put them in front of the TV and they're raising our children. And they're producing a God-hating society with God-hating philosophies. Listen, I'm so glad that my dad would get off for working 10 and 12 hours a day. And he would be greeted with a testosterone mob of teenagers saying, Throw the football with us. We need an all-time quarterback. And by the way, we play Mississippi Rush. And my dad, after driving from Crowley to New Iberia every single day for years without having one day off, would put his cup of coffee down and say, go long. And he would get sacked. (laughs) He would get put on his blessed assurance. (laughs) But he would get up. There would be times I'd wake him up from a dead sleep. I was in karate. I was like, Dad, watch this karate move. And he would say, wow, that's nice, Kelly. And then we'd get on the ground and we'd start wrestling out of a dead sleep. I'd call. I'd be like, Dad, come help me play Super Mario Brothers. My dad, which I'm older now, I don't mind playing the basketball games and football games, but I'm not a big fan of, you know, it just kind of loses your attention. So I look back at my 30-something-year-old dad at the time. I was like, man, I can't believe he sat there night after night and literally watched me play. I say that to say, Dad, drop the wrench and pick up your child. Love them, kiss them, hold them, hug them. Tell them that they're the greatest thing on the face of the earth. So they don't walk up, wake up feeling worthless and helpless and no one loves them. On the other side of that coin... You have some kids that don't feel loved but have everything and they're empty. Listen, when you get to those moments where you have a decision to make, err towards Jesus. Don't run to the bottle. Don't run to the pills. Run to Christ. He is your, he, he is your identity alone. There was one time Dylan had a, uh, I'm sure you don't mind me using him, but (laughs) it was a project graduation where you go and you do fun jumps and all this stuff. And and Shannon and I went, we stayed there. I don't know, I had to be at work for seven the next day, I think. And I got home at five in the morning. I had worked all day before that. But God multiplied my rest. Why? Because I saw my dad drop everything that he was doing to spend time with me. And I saw how much it meant. And that is what drives us as, as dads, as, as moms, as family. I see moms today. Now I'm just, I'm not saying I see anybody in this church, so I'm just going to put that out there. I know moms 
that get their nails done. Really? And their kids don't eat. I know someone who puts all these little things on their, on their chihuahua, does their nails, and their kid doesn't dress well. I, I know that with my own, I've seen that. I've seen that my whole life. I'm not going to say who it is or nothing, but trust me, that stuff's out there. You probably have family or friends that do the same thing. Parents today see their kids as, as burdens. I will take your burden. See, it depends on perspective. It depends on how you see things. We sacrifice our children for the comfort of, of society or, or the, the, we put them on the altar of self. What's best for me? It's time for us to do better. If you're doing good, do great. If you're doing horrible, repent. Move on. For those parents that sacrificed everything and you see no fruit, I want to tell you, you will reap what you have sown. Because the Bible says, in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, your sons and daughters. Come on, that's, that's now. That's, that's here. That's, that's on the horizon. It's happening all over the world, even now. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Listen, your identity is in Christ, not in what you do. People put their, their faith in their actions, all what they do, and they feel horrible. Your faith is in what Jesus accomplished for you. And that walking in his ways, in his presence, that's what begins to get the DNA on the inside of you. And you want to be like Jesus. But make no mistake, your righteousness comes only for what he accomplished. And listen, you need to hear this. It doesn't matter what motive-driven, insecure people say about you. What matters is what God says about you. God called you to be a, a mighty warrior in his kingdom, a mighty husband, a mighty dad, a mighty mom, a mighty wife. Number two, plows represent the ordinary. If you look at the story with the five loaves and two fish, this is, this is what I want to tell you. Surrender your ability to the Lord and let him multiply his abilities in you. See, we make things ordinary. We take sin that we deal with and now we put it into an ordinary category and say, well, this is just how I am. My dad did this, so I do this. News flash. You have a new father. You have a new spirit. You have a new DNA. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been grafted in. Now we learn from our heavenly father. Listen, some people take friendships that are toxic. And they, they claim that as normal and ordinary. They live miserably. They're in relationships. And they're living miserably. And they say this is just ordinary. Take that and put it into the fire. You want to know how to be a good friend? I'm sure you had some bad ones. Don't do what they did to you. If you see Christians as hypocrites, guess what? Become a Christian and see how difficult it is to walk. And the things that you don't like when you see other Christians, don't do that. That's what, that's what we do. We model at what we don't want to do. <laughs> Maybe it's your job. 
Maybe your job, you're frustrated with your job. Maybe God's calling you to go elsewhere with your job. Don't trade in one plow for the plow, another plow that looks just like it. Ask God if he wants you to move and then bless God move. <laughs> Listen, I know when I forsook all, that's when I was able to come into the kingdom. I had a lot of friends. I, I, I had a sinful lifestyle. But I had to make a point. I made my mind up. I'm not going back to that. I will take this plow and I will burn it. You see, I surrendered drinking. That was difficult. And I said, God, I give this drinking. Give me something that replaces this. And he gave me a love for reading. I hated reading. I hadn't read a book all the way into 12th grade. Now I read books like I'm going crazy, but it's one of my great joys. God will do that for you. Number three, yoke up with the plow maker. This brings us to a very interesting scripture in Luke 9, 62. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. See, the thing is you're plowing either for the devil or God. We say, no, I'm plowing for myself. No, that's the devil. Inside of us is a sinful nature and we go, we err towards evil. So when you give your life to Jesus, you begin to plow with a new plow on a new road, on a new destination. The early church historian, Justin Martyr, says this about Jesus, that he was in the habit of working as a carpenter when among men, making plows and yokes by which he taught the symbols of righteousness and an active life. So according to early church history, Jesus made plows and yokes. Now, it's interesting that Jesus often used these types of things. In Matthew eleven twenty-seven thirty, 27, 30, it says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, whom the Son chooses to reveal. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the key is to be linked up with the the plow maker and the yoke maker. That's the key. When you pl- When you yoke up with Jesus, you now have joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. That is what you are now walking in, gentleness, self-control. Maybe that weariness that you're carrying is because you have an old plow mentality. That's also a plow, the thought processes. That's an old way of life. When you get stressed, all you know to do is go back to that old plow of worry. It's like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you get nowhere. (laughs) But here's the thing. When you burn the plow... You have nothing to go back to. You have nothing to go back to. That's what you need to understand. That's what he did. He burned the plow. And he was saying, I'm not going back to anything that remotely resembles my old way of life. Listen, you can tell how surrendered you are by what's all in your hands. If you got a handful of stuff... That goes to show you how surrendered you are. 
And there are things that God will say, hey, that thing, drop it. And at that point, you have to make a decision. But what you have to understand is God is wanting to give you something better. Something that that is needed. Something that will propel you into greatness. When you give God your best, he gives you his best. When you give him your what is sacred to you, he gives you what's sacred to him. See, the problem is we still want to be in control. But as Christians, we don't have that option. In Matthew 16, it says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life from me will find it. Losing control is a benefit. Some of us lose control anyway. (laughs) So why not lose it for the right thing? Maybe it's a fleshly appetite, an object. Listen, I look at those brothers that got killed by ISIS overseas. I'm sure if you go in their, their, their house, they don't have a bunch of worldly trinkets that, you know, could be damaging to their spirit. You don't get there overnight where you want to sacrifice your life for the Lord. I mean, think about it. We won't, we won't let go of, you know, an object, much less lose our life. And I read what they were saying as they were being beheaded. They kept saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That is faith. That is power. Now, if you look at this, when I grew, I was growing up in the Baptist church. I thought faith and obedience was one of the members of the Trinity. Because every sermon was about faith and obedience. Seriously, I, I mean, I, so that's why I, I, I really understood that it's about faith and obedience. It's about having faith in Jesus and being obedient to what our master tells us. The Bible says to count the cost. This is what we need to do. Let's count the cost. That's biblical. We hold on to the fleshly friends, partying, despondence, shame, emptiness, and guilt in one hand. And on the other hand, we have abundance, joy, peace, happiness, And most importantly, a clear conscience from God. Let's be real. You know what it's like to ride the fence. You know what it's like to party and lay your head on that pillow and feel miserable, tossing and turning. Aren't you tired of that? Weren't you tired of that when you were doing that? And now that you've come in to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you can lay down, look up at the sky and say, Jesus, I love you. And by the way, if you feel like coming back, I'm ready. You won't do that if you got all kind of sin in your hand. You won't do that if you have all kind of issues in your life. You got to be willing to give that up. Elisha said, I'm done with this plow. Number four, surrender brings direction. The Bible says in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. This is how you apply that. God, this is in my life. What do you want to do here? Well, Kelly, I want you to get rid of that. Okay, there you go. It's done. Take self out of it. Take the option out. This is what God wants. This is what God will get from me. That's faith and obedience. But in that comes anointing, comes peace, comes the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, goodness, mercy. That's all the things that we need. God will use one word, go. (laughs) Kind of like he did with Brady and I. Well, obviously Brady said go, to be honest with you, if you... Brady was the one with the faith. I guess God spoke to him. But anyway, we went. He told Moses, go. Deliver my people. He told Jonah, 
Go to Nineveh. And he said, no, I hate those people. (laughs) But if you think about it, we want the how. We want to know all of the details. But this is what we do. We put our faith in the details. We put our faith in the how. God wants to be the how. We want to know why God wants to be the why. What would you rather have, a navigation system or the navigator? It's faith. That's how you walk it out. It's like what Reinhard Bunke said about Peter walking on water. He said, water can't hold up anyone. Peter walked out on the command of come. And that's what he walked on. What is God? What's that one word that God is telling you? Maybe it's forgive. Oh, come on now. Maybe it's time with your family. Now, I know what you're saying, but they don't deserve forgiveness. We Neither do we. I mean, some of the things I do, I'm like, I wouldn't forgive me. <laughs> but think about it. You Once again, we, man, we beat this horse. <laughs> forgive for your benefit, not for the benefit of the others. Number five, surrender brings the extraordinary. In 2 Kings 2, 9 through 14, it says, when Elijah, Elijah said to Elijah, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken. And Elijah said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you asked a hard thing. In the Hebrew, that, that you asked a hard thing, this is what it means. You are making a great claim. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to make a great claim? And this is what happened. Elijah is taken up. And it says, and as the, Elijah said, when you see me, there it'll be. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind into my, into heaven. Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he said, and he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes, tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him struck the water, saying, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted from one side to the other, and Elisha went over. I want to pause right here. I had gone to Israel in 2000, and there was a, I don't know if you remember the story of Elijah. It was like, God, you know, these people can't drink water. Uh, we, we, we need to do something here, and God blessed it. Well, in the desert in Jericho, there, they, there was water that was just gushing out. And we took our bottles, it was called Elijah water. I mean, I guess they're good at marketing. And I'm talking it was 110 degrees during the summer. And we would put our bottles in that water, pick it up, you would see no sediment, and it tastes better than Nestle and Dasani. Now, if you think about that, that's God's miracle working power there 2,000 years, longer than that, later. And it was ice cold. That's a miracle. That's still in existence to this day. So the question is, did Elisha get what he wanted? Well, if you read your Bible, he got double of, he did double the miracles that Elijah did. This one thing happened because he said, I'm going to burn this plow and move on. So my question to you, do you think Elisha knew what he was going to do when he burned that plow? Do you think he knew what God was going to do in his life? No, he just had faith that I'm going to give everything I have and I'm going to trust God. I've seen Elijah do mighty, miraculous things. But see, an empty, surrendered person 
is willing to say, Lord, fill me up no matter how big, how small. Listen, this is the last point. The risk is in not surrendering. You look at the, the, the rich young ruler. If he was so happy, why did he go to Jesus and say, what must I do to be saved? Obviously, he wasn't content, but he walked away sorrowful. So he went in not content and walked away sorrowful. That's the danger of living this Christian life on the fence. You're not happy either way. You're in the world and you're missing out on the world. <laughs> I don't know, it might not be the best thing to say, but hey, if you're in the world, go full speed ahead. It's better you be hot or cold than lukewarm. It's miserable lukewarm, by the way. Or if you want to be on fire for God, burn that fence and, and move forward towards the things of God. But make a decision and go at it. Because God has a destiny that he is waiting for you to have. Listen, both people had two choices to make. Elisha had a choice. The rich young ruler had a choice. So if you think about it, that's the same choice you and I face. Listen, as we stand, I want to ask you tonight. Maybe you do not know the Lord. You know, I don't ever take for granted that, you know, it's a Wednesday night service. There's a lot of believers that come to Wednesday night. But you may have stumbled in for the first time with every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to ask you, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ tonight? Because the greatest decision that you can make is to follow the Lord. Because you will follow the Lord all the way into heaven and experience glory that you have never seen before. So if you do not know Jesus I don't want to embarrass anyone. I just want to see your hand. Let me see your hand. If you do not know Jesus, it means you have not fully surrendered your life to the Lord, that you know that if you walked out of these doors and you died, that you would not spend eternity with him. Let me see your hand. Praise God. Praise God. Let me pray this prayer with you, brother. Can we, can we pray this prayer? There we go. I see another hand. Father, we come before you. Let's repeat this prayer. We come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. Come on, louder. Thank you. Lord, I come before you asking to forgive me of all sin. My, my life and living that has been contrary to you. I thank you, Lord, for dying on Calvary in my place. I ask this day that you would save me, redeem me, make me a child of yours. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that he was raised from the dead. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer after service, I want you to come up. Pastor Brandon and I will be up here, and I want you to come and tell us that you made that decision because we want to talk with you to make sure that you understand. Now, to the others, I want to ask you, you know, we have these altars available, and the, the altar is a place of sacrifice. The altar represented where, where you laid something down and walked away. I want you to be bold if there's something in your life that you need to surrender. I want you to come down here and you, you don't necessarily need us to pray for you, but we're willing to pray for you. I want you to come down and declare this before God. God, I'm coming down here. 
I'm laying this plow down and Lord, I'm asking you to burn it up and use me. Come on, some people are here and you are miserable Christians. You are miserable. God wants to free you of that. There you go, amen, sister. God wants to free you of that. He wants to take you to the next level. Let go of what's in your hand and grab God. I promise you that he will give you great and mighty things that you do not presently know. And I can see that we have a church full of surrendered people. Praise God. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. As we close in prayer, I want to ask the Lord to bless you as we leave. Lord, I ask right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would bless these that are here, God. Father, that you would make your face to shine upon them, that you would be before them, behind them, with them. God, that you would bless everything that their hands touch, that you would bless their families, that you would give give traveling grace, God. Father, that you would flourish your presence in their life as never before. Lord, we love you. Come on, tell the Lord you love him tonight. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you, God, for being our God. God, we thank you for the things that you have us to do, God. Father, we lay our lives before you, asking you to move on these bodies, God, that you would move in our spirits, that you would move in our souls, that you would take us to the next level. Lord, as we are in these last days, use these hands to heal. Come on, ask God, use these hands to heal. Use this mouth to speak. Use these feet to go, Lord. God, we thank you tonight. We thank you for your presence. We give you honor and praise. And everybody said amen and amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God.